There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. I'm Harriet Minter, and I'm here with Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And this week, we are talking about Lord Sugar and a bit of everyday racism. Plus, we have the amazing Josie Norton, founder of Help Refugees, who is just going to blow your mind. One, two, three, four! It is, of course, time for the news. Our news section this week. Emma, what are you talking about? Well, I'm really sorry, but I have to talk about... Uh, no, actually, I'm not sure. I'm not sorry. Talk about <laughs> Alan Sugar, uh, Lord Alan Sugar. Um, and he did a tweet this week. I don't know if... Did you guys see his tweet? Well, it was so quick, wasn't it? It was up and down in one second. Yeah, it was. But to me, it followed on from our conversation the other week about everyday racism. So he did a tweet about the um, Senegal football team. And he basically said, I recognise some of these guys from the beach in Marbella. Multitasking, resourceful chaps. And the thing is, he took the tweet down, but he didn't actually think that he'd done anything wrong. He subsequently half apologised. Lots of people are calling for him to be fired. The BBC seemed to be kind of sticking up for him, but well, definitely not firing him. But it was to me, it was a, another prime example of everyday racism. Um, and for me, the tweet was, it was so obviously racist and degrading and rude because he didn't just tweet that he actually put a photo that had been photoshopped of the Senegalese football team with um sort of sunglasses and hats and then you know selling I've just sunglasses noticed and hats that. in front of them I didn't yeah. notice that bit of the picture mm. I just it was so it was so crass um and what really annoyed me about it was when he sent it out and sort of instantly deleted it he just went into defensive mode. He was like, oh, it was just a joke. Some people can't take a joke. But it's a, it's a classic of Ugh. that generation that will say, I'm not racist. And they can't see how these um, statements feed into racism, feed into, um, you know, that that kind of perspective and they just think it's absolutely fine i'm not being racist it was just a joke everyone's lost their sense of humor it's like you really have no understanding you really need to read is it renee renee Edo lodge renee Edo lodge uh why i'm no longer talking to white yeah. people about race yeah yeah exactly and also the other thing that frustrated me was the kind of everyone jumping on the bandwagon obviously to defend him, Piers Morgan et al. Oh, did he? Piers Morgan defended him? I didn't see that. Well, he defended him with defence, which was, he's not a racist, he's a half-wit. And there's a fabulous article uh, written by, let me find it, Yomi Adagoki, and which she says, as if one can't be both a racist and a half-wit, yes. which is, in fact, <laughs> what he is. That's great. Uh, I just thought it was just absolutely brilliant. I am just over the defence of stupidity. If your actions are racist, you are racist. Yeah, but it's just that it's that it's that lack of wokeness, isn't it? That lack of not reading, mm -hmm. of just sitting in your position of privilege and not understanding, you know, the background to that. Um, and and regardless, I mean, those guys that do sell sunglasses on the beach in Marbella, they're not there because you yeah. know that's that's not a life choice. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, so even to make a joke, or oh, oh, there's just so many threads to this that just really. Um... Nat, did you want to? Did you want to delete Lord Sugar when you saw that, along with his tweet, or did you just roll your eyes? What were you thinking? Oh, I don't follow Lord Sugar <laughs> anyway. I mean, eye roll. 
is basically where I'm at. And it, it, shouldn't, I sh it shouldn't be an eye roll. But I don't expect anything else from him. He hasn't shown himself to be uh, a person that is is open to different types of thought. He doesn't show himself to be a, a no, person he, that act, act that that you know cares about his prejudices or or bigoted thoughts. And so to think that you're going to get any response from him or Piers Morgan or anyone else other than it was a joke. It, basically, we're putting lots of of energy into it. No, but my, my issue is that so in the in the same article, it goes on to continue that there have been black men who have said things that were deemed to be racist, and they were either removed from shows or they were sacked. And so it's that double standard of as soon as it's not a white man mm -hmm. say, you know telling a joke, then it's it's uproar and it must be racism and it must be prejudice. So if we're going to give Alan Sugar, the uh, the space equal treatment, yeah, the space to to be a complete jerk. Then let's have equal treatment for all. Yeah, yeah, that's my that's my problem. I I'm the same as you. I don't expect anything less from him. Actually, you know that tweet is perfectly fitting it for me in terms of what he does. But him, he is in a position of power and influence, and he shouldn't be allowed to get away with it. Well, he shouldn't be allowed. But we know we know the the world that we're in, and it's just like, do you know what? And I think the other thing is as well, the the Twitter medium and the platform, I think now where I'm at is you have to kind of just not engage with stuff. Otherwise, you just end up in a constant stream of, of arguing with well, people. Or I think it depends, right? I think you can engage, like if you engage and you just get angry and you get upset and you get way too emotional about it and you don't channel that somewhere, I don't think that's the right engagement. For me, it was about retweeting some of the articles that I saw. So there was a great article in the Metro from um, a lady called uh, Kalichi Okafor and she wrote an amazing thing. It was a, a letter basically to Lord Sugar and she was explaining all the reasons why that tweet was racist. And I tweeted that because that's the kind of information that we need so that people who were going, oh no, I think that was just a joke, can start to understand what the deeper underlying of this. So I think, I think we should engage in it. I don't think you but should. But do get... you think they'll understand? Anyone that thinks that tweet was okay is not going to read anything. Do you know what? By her and be no, like, oh, I'm finally enlightened. Lord Sugar might not, and lots of Lord Sugar's followers might not, but one of them might. Yeah, and that's enough. And for if you me. hit yeah, one person, and one then they. One take it to another person and another person and that's the way you have to do it and it's slow and painful and ridiculous but if you don't at least engage with one then we just stay exactly where we are i yeah i, I doubt it i highly doubt it people that don't think they're racist don't think they're racist basically and so they'll make comments that are obviously racist but they have no cognizant understanding of it so you can put logic and and and, and feeling and everything in front of them but if they don't think they're racist They'll just be like, no, I just don't like immigrants. I'm just racist. <laughs> yeah. But you see, I disagree with that because I do, in my, other, in my other life, I go into companies and do what's called unconscious bias training, which mm -hmm. is trying to get people to realize that we have taken on all this stuff just from the world that surrounds us. And we are therefore behaving in ways that are not as we would intentionally behave if we were aware of our actions. So that actually all of us are a little bit racist, sexist, et cetera, et cetera, because simply of the world that we've grown up in and we take things as the norm. So Lord Sugar taking that picture as the norm. Um, but when you know that, then you can start to think, oh, okay, how do I get in front of that? And I go into those companies and I'm surrounded by people that are like, no, I, you know, I'd hire a white guy as quickly as I'd hire a black guy and vice versa, no problem there. Yeah. And then they look at it and they listen to it and they have this moment where they're like, oh, oh. And you see their little faces fall and you see the panic start to rise. And they think, I don't know what to do about this. But they genuinely don't want to live in a world that is unfair. And so it's really slow and it's millimeter by millimeter and literally person by person by person by person. But if you can get people to at least see it then they can start to change and don't get me wrong I think it's decades of work for one person but if we don't engage with them they'll never see it and also you can make something that's not mainstream mainstream yeah. especially that's the power of social media because as a human being you're super influenced by what you're surrounded so if you surround people a lot with a lot of wokeness 
Well, <laughs> I'm optimistic. <laughs> You're just probably tired, Natalie. You're yeah. probably just like, I'm you know like, what? Whatever. I've, I've, had I've been years. living. I've been living this exactly. life. I'm and a woman <laughs> and I'm black. I'm, I'm gonna like, keep I'm done. For you, babes. Yeah. I'm like, I'm someone else for you. can take on. I've got the, the button. I'm on it. I'm on it. I've got the hashtag. <laughs> so our next story is um, about Question Time and the fact that Question Time is going to be searching for a new host. And this week, one woman put herself forward in a way that I think is truly badass. So Samira Ahmed, uh, broadcaster, been on the BBC for decades, sent a tweet, putting it out there into the universe in which she said, I am exceptionally keen to be considered for the question time job. I'm going to read her tweet. I have two awards for journalism, 28 years in the broadcast news biz, including 11 years at Channel 4 News, currently presenting Newswatch BBC and BBC Front Row, and an honorary fellow of St Edmund Hall, Oxford. I am V well qualified to present BBC Question Time, and I'd like to be seriously considered. <laughs> I girl. love that. <laughs> I think that is everything we preach about being badass, but also what I really like is that she's done it in a massively public forum. It's not like she sent that to me. You know, it would be pretty badass, I think, to send that as an email to the five people hiring for it. That would be, for me, a badass move. To put it out on Twitter is just genius. I loved it. Now, what did you think? Yeah, you know, I, it, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a, a bold move and a bold way to get in front of the people that you know um, are thinking about this. And you know, Samira is on the inside. She'll she'll know who's on that shortlist. So she probably thought about it and, and said, okay, well, if my agent isn't getting any yeah. cut through, this is the next best move because it will turn into a bit of a, a social media um, uh, chatter and it will get in front of the bosses. And if they don't include me, then people will start asking why. So I do think it was ballsy from that perspective. Personally, I think Kirsty Walk would be the best presenter. I really like her. I like her on Have I Got News For You. Um, so I, I would, if I was a betting woman, I'd put my money on Kirsty. I think she is the front runner. I find her a little bit bland. but I love her. I, I, I just, there's something about the way, especially for that show where, you, where you're chairing, there's a different persona and there's a different, uh, kind of energy that you want from someone that's chairing that sort of debate and if I was comparing her and Samira basically two brilliant quali qualified women I'd choose Kirsty. I want Michelle Hussein that's who I want I basically want her to do everything on the BBC because I love her. Mm. No? Yeah. Mm. No I, I, maybe I'm just a Kirsty fan. Just days when I wake up to her voice I just I'm like oh love it. No, no, no. Yeah. I just want a woman doing it. I don't care which one. <laughs> Emma, just have a woman. Name one. Uh, Kirsty, <laughs> Samira. I've just googled them. I've just googled all the women you're talking about, and I'm I'm with Harriet on Samira. Kirsty, I think is fine, but I just think Samira is probably a bit more interesting. But I'm also I'm really interested in her tweet because I'm like, oh, could this be the future of CVs? Yeah. So basically, you tweet how badass you are, and then depending on how many retweets you are, um, you get depends on whether you get the job. Oh did my you gosh, see there was a girl that got her dream job at Spotify. She did exactly that. Did she, she did a. Um, a Twitter CV. She did a little video, and it got back to the you know the CMO at Spotify, and she got she got the job. Mm. I mean, I don't know what that says for an open competition where you're going up against other candidates, <laughs> uh, but yeah, she got the job. Mm. Maybe it's the future. Maybe it is the future. Is it the future? Should we all be tweeting our CVs? Uh, I think we should us. all be tweeting how badass we are. We yeah, should definitely all be tweeting. Uh, we should all be tweeting how badass we are. So you can tweet us that how badass you are. I'm worried about that, but feel free to tweet it anyway <laughs> at Talk Radio. And also tweet us your CV. Let's see whether we'd employ you. We need a badass woman's hour intern. If you want to apply for it, tweet us your CV at Talk Radio and we'll see if we want to take you. Also in our news section, female football pundits. Nat, what is going on with them? Well, so first of all, we're in the midst of this small thing called the World Cup. And would you say that in terms of a pundit, someone that has the following, following experience would make a good pundit. Mm -hmm. Someone that has played a hundred times for England, has a 17 year career with spells at Birmingham City, Charlton Athletic, Chelsea, and now Juventus. Um, and has, you know, someone that's won all of the honors the game has to offer. Good pundit, bad pundit. Just based oh, on experience. Brilliant pundit. 
Theoretically, good funding. Yeah, theoretically. Yes. Um, unfortunately, not everyone feels the same. Because is it a man doesn't feel the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Emmy Aluko is the person that I was talking about. And she did a really good turn as a pundit for, for the World Cup. And while she was uh, breaking down, I think, the Chilean play, um, her co-host, uh, I can't remember his name, basically just started clapping because he didn't expect that she could actually diagnose uh, a play and explain it was back it to the audience. Was it a sarcastic clap or was it like no, a no, great it point was, clap? Oh my goodness. Oh my, I didn't he expect thought, that to come out of your he mouth. He thought he clap. was being very yeah. charming. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He was, it, I think, it, I feel like it was a sort of cultural misunderstanding in that he's No, because the other guy did it too. The other, so, oh, yeah, so okay. he's, he clapped and then the other pundit was like, yes, oh my, well, well done. Well, oh, well done, no. Eni. You know, And it's, it's that oh, thing no. of, you expected so little that because yeah. you got top, class you were just shocked and you, you you couldn't do anything other than clap and say well done but equally even though that even though she was great other people were like oh well she's just there because they wanted a bit of diversity and yeah. she was good did you, did you uh, she's played a hundred times for england i'm pretty sure they've had people that have played that played haven't less. yeah played less or someone that's in a completely different sport that's not football on in the pundit chair. So actually she had the relevant skills and should be there. So again, it's one of those eye rolls. Why can't people get over it? It wasn't a man in the chair, but she gave yeah. a really good And they don't know whether, because she's not a man, whether she's got the credibility to talk about Oh football. no. You know, if, if you haven't played a thousand times for England, you must not have the credibility, which basically then rules out all the, the male players that mm. were on the stage. I Rio, Ferdinand actually said, um, so they were talking about um, uh, Ronaldo's kick for Portugal. And Rio was like, I couldn't even do a kick, kick, kick like that. And it's like, well, you're obviously not that great. Get yeah, out the what? pundit's <laughs> chair. That's, that, that's what I should have tweeted. Get out the pundit's chair. If you can't kick people like Ronaldo, get a woman in. you shouldn't be there. Let's get yeah. a woman in. Do you think, so the thing that's interesting to me about this is clearly when they were looking for World Cup pundits, everyone went, we need, oh God, if we only have men on the pundit panel, we're going to get pulled. We need a woman on there. Mm -hmm. So they clearly had a woman chair, you know, a chair for the women. Um, do you think this then means, given the kind of critique and kickback about it, that actually is this proof that quotas are not helpful for women because we just get all of this oh she's just there because she's a woman even though she's brilliant you know that's what i think though that's 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 my do, one issue do you not with like, you don't agree with quotas you no, but you know i so no i don't and you know that and one of the reasons that i don't agree with quotas is because it makes it so much harder when you're there because it, it, even if you you're amazing people make the assumption that you're only there just because but and it makes doing the job that much harder actually there are other ways of changing a system as opposed to quotas where i kind of almost feel like you set everything back and all of the studies especially quotas on diversity in south africa in um the us they they don't help relations but they do help numbers they do help numbers but they don't help relations and actually if you want systemic change if you want change that's really lasting it's not just about the numbers piece you have to help the relations too so I think, which will be interesting to see if next year they do it again mm -hmm. and what happens next year, because I always say I agree that you, you put a quota in and everyone goes, oh, they're only there because of the quota. But I think that's a limited period of time. So I think you have that quota for a period of time, at which point we just get so used to it, then actually we stop seeing news. it. Yeah. And it's oldies mm -hmm. and we stop seeing it as only there because women just be like, oh, it's totally normal to see a panel where it's a all-male football match but there are a mix of men and women on the panel i don't have the facts but i think any was the first woman of that yeah. that set to to join the men um and so that's exactly what it is she was the first woman up any woman that had joined the panel at that stage would have got some kind of oh you're only there just because but the fa the, the fact of the matter is she's played a hundred times for england she's had a 17 year senior career in football and she gave a really good performance as a pundit 
And so we should be saying, wow, it's great to have another pundit perspective that's going to break down a game that I'm watching. And, you know, men, I assume that when you're watching football, you're actually interested in pundits that can share some insight. And that's what she did. So what's the problem? I'm just going back to your, you know, the quota thing and you saying, oh, people saying that Annie's only there. She's only there just because. I feel like you can use that term for the men that are already there. It's yeah. like you're only there just because. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I challenge you on the quotas because I think, like Harriet says, you know, we, we've got people there. And even though she had that sarcastic clapping, she was sat there. And next year, hopefully, she'll just be there and respected because people are used to seeing it and it won't be such a like, oh, this is unusual. And one thing I thought was brilliant was actually when there was a big article about do we only have women pundits because they're women, the pushback on Twitter largely from men saying you idiot did you watch her she was brilliant that really cheered me so if you were one of those men little high five i liked you a lot this week there's some good men out there there are some (laughs) we believe in them a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. Well, we wanted to continue uh, the fact that it has been Refugee Awareness Week this week and talk to a woman who just created the most amazing movement. Um, If you have seen anyone wearing, as Emma is tonight, the Choose Love t-shirts, that is part of Help Refugees a charity that kind of grew from a couple of people with an incredible story. Um, If you've ever sat there at home watching the news thinking, I wish I could do something to help, but you don't know where to start, then you need to hear Josie Norton's story. Josie, welcome to Badass Women's Hour. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. So you are the co-founder of Help Refugees. Yes, yes. Tell us, you were sat there thinking, what can I do to help? Yeah. What did you do next? So in um, August 2015, um, so in fact, so in 2015, one million people arrived in Europe fleeing war and conflict and other terrible situations. Um, And we were seeing all these images on the news of the boats, of really sad images of people drowning, of people living in awful conditions in Calais. And it kind of felt just like putting a status on Facebook didn't really feel like enough anymore um so myself and some couple of friends uh decided that we would try and raise a thousand pounds and one van load of stuff to take to Calais so like tents and shoes um and we started a hashtag which at the time was help Calais um but it went totally viral and we accidentally raised 56,000 pounds in a week (laughs) um and started an Amazon wish list of all those most wanted items and got a phone call from the storage who'd given us one room of free storage saying you've got seven thousand pounds 
packages arriving tomorrow. So you need to get some volunteers down and you need to learn to, to sort this out. We're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Um, so we suddenly were advertising on Twitter for volunteers. We were learning to pack and sort. A volunteer from who did logistics in a prison came down and was like teaching us about palletizing. I didn't even know what a pallet was. <laughs> um, and so, so that happened every day for five weeks. Um, and then we realized that we didn't actually know who we were going to give any of this stuff to. And we felt such a sense, I think, of responsibility um, to the public who'd entrusted us with with their money and um, bought these these items. And we wanted to make sure they were going to the right place. And so we went to Calais um, and expected to find the big charity or the governmental body who was there taking care of all these people. Um, and what we found was 5,000 people living in a field, essentially, um, with with nothing. Like babies had no nappies on, families didn't have food. If they had a tent at all, it was a rubbish festival one with holes in it. Um, you know, there was no wash facilities, no toilets, no, you know, the, it, it, I never expected to see anything like that, I think, with my own eyes, let alone in, in Europe. Um, and it was really, really shocking. Um, and we also, on, on, on that first visit, met uh, a boy from Syria um, who was 15 and he was telling us about his his journey um, coming over and he was saying that the smugglers put so many people on the boats and when the boat started to sink they were throwing people off the boats who um, who were on their own so he clung to this boy next to him and said we're brothers we're brothers <laughs> and he was like and now we're, now we're both here and we were like but where's your where's your family and he was like no I don't I don't have any family I'm I'm here by myself and so it was also at the same moment we suddenly had to understand like god you know there there are children do, on this journey who've lost everything and, and in fact the youngest unaccompanied child that was living in Calais was eight um and we just really felt that we couldn't um unsee what we'd seen um so we ended up partnering with a local french association renting a warehouse starting a distribution system a shelter building program and there was a kind of like i guess i'm sure you all remember the the image of that little boy island curdy mm -hmm. um who washed up on the shore and that kind of started some kind of like explosion of compassion in the british public i think and so lots of people who were so skilled be that at running huge kitchens or um, were youth workers or you know p different people were, were coming over to help and forming their their own organizations and we were really lucky to kind of act as an umbrella to a lot of them because we were able to carry on this this like funding and finding volunteers and organizing and kind of yeah and and it's it was pretty mad we ended up becoming um i guess in essence camp management of a refugee camp that grew to nearly twelve thousand people wow and then also started to fund projects in, in other countries as well. So the thing that shocked me when I read that story was you said you turned up there and there was nothing. Yeah. Where were where were the charities that we think of when we think of refugee crisis? Where were they? I mean, it's it, it it's still something that I find really upsetting even three years three years on. Um, I was just in Greece a couple of weeks ago and there's still people arriving and there's no one there's no one there to greet them it's a really complicated subject because it's partly it's a political issue there's no getting away from that and so um often big organizations are funded by governments and that i think make, makes them not necessarily respond uh in ways that they could be in this situation with calais france didn't declare it a humanitarian crisis so that meant that some organizations weren't able to also this this crisis is the context is changing really quickly and often the big organizations it takes the the kind of the bureaucracy which is really important and there for a reason but it can take a year to get something approved um some kind of response approved when obviously that that's too late because yeah. it, it needs it needs to be there tomorrow um so so yeah it's quite a complicated issue but but the what's been amazing in this the the, the kind of horrible um things that we've seen over the last three years of this crisis is the grassroots response and and how amazing volunteers are and um that you know even if the the big guys aren't stepping up that just your everyday person does and that's really amazing just for context what did you do before i used to work in music management um i was a personal assistant um and before that i'd worked in different jobs in music and been a waitress and all those kind of things 
Um, so so it was almost going from an office to starting a campaign and then getting there and saying well right now we need to create an organization to support everyone that's here and volunteer management and yeah (laughs) (laughs) um i think i i think partly because we were quite naive we 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 didn't we were like well why don't why why don't we just do this Mm -hmm. because we didn't know that all those things shouldn't really be possible and i think as well interestingly lots of the skills of of working in an office or whatever it is you know they're actually quite transferable because it's it's kind of it's almost it's kind of like a business and again also that thing of you know we we are so lucky that so many people came into our lives at at that time who you know if i i'm not a volunteer management expert but people who were volunteer management experts arrived saying hello i'd like to volunteer and so that's that's what's been so amazing about this and why i think it's grown so much is because all the amazing people who've been a part of it where i'm going you make it sound so easy and i'm sitting here thinking wow (laughs) yeah (laughs) monday was this and then then by wednesday we did this and then thursday we just took over and we sorted out twelve thousand people (laughs) and it's like actually it was not that easy yeah i can't imagine visiting a field of five thousand people who are in a really desperate state and then even knowing where to start like what was the first thing you did um the first thing we did well there was this this local french association who we partnered with and they were they're a group of retired french teachers um and they were they'd been working when there were like 500 people there but they couldn't really cope with the 5,000 so we were listening to them actually they were like we need a warehouse Mm. um and we were like okay great we'll get that and then they were like we need a shelter building program so we're like great and then we went and found the the money to buy the wood and then some builders you know that were were there so it it was this amazing kind of organic thing and and now as well you know we so calais is the only place that we're operational but we now fund 80 projects in 10 countries that's everything from children's hospitals in syria to search and rescue off greece um and and it's like all of those partner organizations they're all just absolute total heroes and it's a, a privilege for us to be able to work with them and support them wow i am in like absolute awe of you no really it's, it's all the people on the ground they're the real real heroes so you said you're still operational in calais what's the situation there now so um in uh, october 2016 they um evicted the camp um and we kind of thought as an organization uh, we probably would would then not be not be needed there um and you know that camp was a there was an amazing sense of community and volunteers were amazing but it it, it was a bad place um and it was good that it was being closed but they yeah. they did it in a very violent um way that they didn't need to need to do and there weren't provisions for everybody um but 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 unfortunately there you know the the systems in france still don't work properly so people are still forced to live in in outside in these in these situations and so there are still around a thousand people in calais um but there's not allowed to be any kind of formal settlement anymore so they all kind of sleep in the woods or on the street they're not really even allowed tents um although we we do distribute tents but the police take everyone's belongings about three times a week uh, even to the point where they take people's shoes off, off off their feet so we have to distribute three times as three times as many things so even even though it's much less people the operation is is still quite big and of that of that thousand a hundred are unaccompanied children um so one of the projects that we support is a youth team that go out and try and identify those children make sure that someone's at least taking check that they're still there every day and then trying to get them into the french system trying to get them into safe accommodation making sure they've got a phone um one of the things i read that i thought was so incredible you did was when the camp was kind of at its biggest you took a monthly census yes so you actually counted who was there and what was happening yeah why did you do that <laughs> because um so it was a great um woman called annie from our team who who led that um but basically they they did a few evictions before they did the main eviction and they were evicting a certain area of the camp and they were saying that there were 1000 people there so they'd opened 1000 uh spaces in an accommodation center but we knew that there were six thousand people living there um and a huge number of unaccompanied minors again um and so the only way that we were able to kind of 
to do advocacy and be shouting that this is not okay is to have our own our own data um so that's why we did the census um and that was really that was really really important for us and the same actually doing that census is what enabled us to do a lot of advocacy around the issue of unaccompanied children do you think it made a difference actually having those numbers to be able to say you're you're lying to us we can show you absolutely it does you uh, data is really really important and i think we were really lucky as well because the situation then got taken very seriously by by mps and um by newspapers and i think without that data that wouldn't have been possible for you as someone who you essentially career changed into this how has it affected your life um well I don't have a life as much as I used to. <laughs> well, actually, you know, now we're three years on, it's calmed down a tiny bit. But um, I, it's a really weird thing because I feel I feel so privileged and so lucky. We all feel so privileged and so lucky to do this. And I, but I feel weird saying that because so many people are suffering and it's such an awful situation. Um, but it's I've we all have something I always say is that it's like we've seen the worst of huma- humanity, but also the best. Mm-hmm. And so I just feel so lucky to get to to work with people and be inspired every day. And and that's both the the people, the refugees themselves, and the people you know seeing on instagram a a kids bake sale where they're raising money for help refugees it's just unbelievable josie how do you kind of look after yourself because you must you know you're exposing yourself to some really difficult situations human beings who are really struggling how do you look after yourself um so in the beginning if being truthful we we weren't and there was a real thing of like volunteer burnout was a real Mm. a real thing um so so now as we've kind of formalized like it's really important that people take their their days off and it's really important to take time for yourself um you know talk 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 to someone about these experiences it's really really important um and then you know just little things if you're feeling a bit like oh god this is a bit much i like go get my nails done or (laughs) in our our team the girls always talk about things like that um but again you know we're we're not the teams on the ground who are doing the everyday work they're the ones really really seeing the hard things and and indeed the people going through it um so we all kind of we have a responsibility to look after ourselves so that we can continue to support them i think that's such a great message isn't it because we forget that that actually you can't support other people if you don't look after yeah, yourself. yeah it's really true it's, re- it's really important yeah amazing um so we have a tweet from anthony that i want to um i want to talk about because i think I think this is a mentality that a lot of people have so he says people preach about refugees and set up charities but where are the charities to get the people off the streets in the uk we see ex-soldiers who served our country and they cannot get help to get a house we see the mentally ill who can't get a house men committing suicides and there's no help for them so josie <laughs> i think that there needs to be help for them and <laughs> help for yeah. Why can't there be help i don't for think it needs to be one or the other um, I think we have to have compassion for all people, and these that I I I, t- I totally agree. You know, there there is a real problem with with homelessness at the moment. It's really scary how much you can see that more as we're walking around mm-hmm. um, London. And actually, some of the organisations we work with do also do work with the homeless population. In do London. you find that attitude though of um, if we give to them, we take away from us, particularly prevalent when it comes to talking about refugees? sometimes yeah i think you know especially online you Mm -hmm. see that a lot um and people i think are forgetting that these are human beings and it could be your mom or it could be your child or they these are people just had a a, like a bad card of hands dealt to them um and then i also like you know one of the countries that we work in is syria um and you know they're literally dropping bombs on schools and hospitals and that that is quite different to 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 any situation that's happening in Mm -hmm. in the UK now so um yeah I I just I think we have to have compassion for everybody yeah and also the thing that that really gets on my nerves is the fact that if you're in the UK you are here because of luck yeah exactly and just because you're lucky enough to be born in a country that can look after you and give you opportunity are we then saying that if you're unlucky to be born what that you don't deserve the same opportunities as us that's the attitude that i just struggle like that that i just can't get my head around that why you would not want 
you know greatness for another human being on this planet and why you think that what you have in the uk is yours solely yours and you've earned some right to it yeah. that's the attitude it feels to me i've since doing this i like before i'd never i just totally took having a passport for granted mm-hmm. i like didn't realize how lucky we are that we're able to just to travel and go places and I've I didn't realize how lucky I was to have an education and access to an education Mm -hmm. and like to be a a female living here like there's all these things you just don't realize how how lucky we are um and and yeah exactly like you say everyone should 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 at least have the right to be safe I think the other thing is the stigma that's around it and so people don't go back to the core of why someone would be a refugee they're fleeing persecution they're fleeing war again it's not reported across most of the mainstream but there are wars raging all over the world at the moment Mm. which are are horrid i.e people cannot go to bed at night knowing that they're going to wake up in the morning not just from bombs but it might be the knife of a militia and so people don't connect that with people they're needing to flee and and move to somewhere safe and so if we go back in history what's the closest thing we can think about is it world war ii where people had to flee and get somewhere safe and I think we're not we're not showing that level of compassion because the story that comes through isn't persecution and war. It's it's econo- economic. They're just coming here to get benefits or yeah. or get a house and yeah. take resources. And it's that feeling of everyone's taking, and it's so not true. But for some reason, the narrative of this is why people are fleeing that doesn't seem to be there. That, d- that doesn't seem to be reported. The, the wrong story yeah. or the wrong message continually comes through. But equally, you kind of feel like you shouldn't have to have that narrative. And actually, I wanted to, I wanted to ask Josie about your Choose Love campaign because I'm wearing my Choose Love t-shirt. And Choose Love is what we would like all human beings to do <laughs> rather than thinking, oh, I'm going to take no resources. <laughs> like to, to, can you tell us how the Choose Love campaign yeah, came about? Yeah, so, so right in the beginning when we were thinking, trying to raise money and... Um, we were decided to put on a music gig um and which paloma faith headlined uh and we was like oh we should have a t-shirt and we we a friend of mine was friends with Catherine hamnett's son um and so <laughs> Catherine hamnett was famous for designing the choose life t-shirts which um george michael wore and loads of really good slogan activism t-shirts um anyway we were really lucky she said she would do the t-shirt with us and we were like what should it say maybe it should say help refugees maybe it should say refugees welcome um and then we were like talking about why we were doing this and, and it's that same thing that i said earlier going to calais and looking at those people in the eyes that could be my my family that could be your family that could be us um and it, it is political and it is complicated and and but bottom line if someone's hungry then you should feed them and if someone's cold then you should try and make them warm um and so we should choose love and um that came up in the conversation it was Kath- Catherine actually that said it oh. and it just totally people just really loved it and it just seemed it just fitted everything we've done and since then it's kind of taken on a life of its own and Mm -hmm. become a huge huge part of our identity and and the public seem to really like it i get so many reactions from this t-shirt because quite often i'll wear it when i'm running and i'll get people like waving at me like high-fiving me and i'm like oh i feel like people do a look of like you're a nice person (laughs) (laughs) i think the other side of it is to anthony's point it's not like you're here saying okay can i have a handout please you're coming up with ways to raise money to go out and do more good. You're speaking to another individual and saying, do you want to come on board? Do you want to help out? And it's down to that individual to decide if they want to help you. Yeah. You're not actually, you're not going to anyone else for, no. for a handout. And so it's not an either or, it's an and. Absolutely. And and I, maybe this is controversial, but quite often the people that, that write those comments, I'd be really interested to know what they're doing um, to help like, the homeless and, and those things. Yeah. yeah, good point. Charity always <laughs> begins at home. Check your way around direct debits <laughs> are going before you do anything else. Um, the Choose Love started as a t-shirt. At Christmas, you had a whole shop. We did. So so like we were saying, the, the you know, it's not in the media anymore, the refugee crisis, but it's very, very much still happening you know five pe- five thousand people arrived in in greece last month there are there are you know ten thousand people trapped on the island of lesbos at the moment babies sleeping in tents in winter Sorry, and we were really nervous lesbos? lesbos is a greek island okay um it's like the island where people arrive but but uh they're not allowed to leave it so 
um they're, they're all they're all stuck there in really really awful conditions um but we were like trying to we were really scared because it was about to be winter and we didn't know how we were gonna um be able to to meet the needs so we we're trying to think of new ways that um we could make people talk about what was going on um and we worked with a really great organization called glimpse and came up with the concept of having a, a like reversion of a charity shop so we ended up being given a space in soho and called it the choose love store and we had a table in the center of the shop that had you you're like wow what are those cool items and then you look closer and realize that they're like lifelines for refugees so like a coat a sleeping bag a food pack a hygiene pack a tent um and it started off with an arrival um and that was the like coat there was a um a life jacket that represented the search and rescue operation that we support the middle section was shelter so that was the tent the food and then the final section was the future which was our favorite and that had like a school bag which represented education programs a pair of keys that supported like accommodation programs and so you would come in go shop to your heart's content but actually leave with nothing because we would distribute those items to people who really needed them and because it was christmas we did a really nice little card so you could say dear mom i've bought you three blankets but you won't find them under the tree this year instead how refugees will deliver them to someone who really needs them um and we had an online version of the store as well but it was it was amazing people just loved it and we had celebrities coming down and volunteering for the day and um and it, it ended up raising a huge amount of money and it was amazing mm. I mean, just, an awe. Awe. just an yeah. aura of PJC, basically. <laughs> Please, honestly, it's just like again, like all the volunteers that came to work in that shop. Every everyone's just amazing. As we were talking earlier, your um, CEO of Help Refugees, and we love a badass boss. I'm going to say, what is your kind of what's an average day for you? Or I guess there's probably no average day, but can you give people a bit of an insight into what it's like being a CEO? <laughs> I re- yeah, I never expected that I would be a CEO. Um, it is, I guess there is no yeah there's like you say there's no average day um we have an amazing team we're a small team i guess in london we're kind of like a startup i guess so it's we are you know we're really always pushing on our social media channels um because that's how we do a lot of our crowdfunding so that could be campaigns coming in from the from the ground that could be celebrities wearing the choose love t-shirt that could be we're also often feeding what's going on on the ground to newspapers all that kind of thing mm. um we've off, we've always organizing fundraising events um we are often you know we have all the different projects we check in with them every day and get updates they have different needs we might need to be ordering more things um we've had to like formalize properly as an organization now so there's a lot of you know the monitoring and evaluation and reporting and um check-ins with our field teams um doing weird radio shows like <laughs> you just have it's like quite quite crazy there's a lot of travel involved um and it's still very much uh uh we 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 exist hand to mouth so um it's still like just a constant trying to to raise as much money as possible and get it to where it needs to go as quickly as possible and in the most effective way and if someone felt that they wanted to help you yes what can they do they can go to our website um and you can see all the different ways that you can help and that you know everyone has a capacity has different capacities of ways to help you know when you've got kids you can't probably just up and go to Calais for three weeks so everyone can do different things so you know it might be that you can collect up some donations of blankets and tents and shoes and get them over to Calais it might be that you're going to come and volunteer it might be that you have a particular skill um like being a doctor and you want to volunteer with one of the partners it might be that you're going to you know go and join your local refugees welcome community here in the uk it might be that you're going to put on a fundraiser for help refugees lots of people do choose love fundraisers all the time (laughs) and you know honestly that that person that donates a pound is as important as the 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 team on the ground like it's it's all connected up and that's what's really beautiful about about this and we always say that we're a movement rather than a charity um because it is all about all the different people who are who are contributing in different ways uh, and I love that you said you actually can go and volunteer. You can. It, it feels really active. Yeah, it is. I feel like a lot of charity feels like you're just passively giving. You're just yeah. like, okay, I can sign a direct debit and I can pass that over. No, it feels like a really active campaign. It's really, really active, and that is something that's amazing. Anyone can be involved, and in, you know, in the warehouse in Calais, you know, we've had people in their nineties volunteering, yeah. and um, it's, it's, yeah, it's really lovely. It's, it's, it's really inspiring every day. 
And do you give all this guidance on your website? Because as you were talking, I was like, you know, if I was to pack up this stuff, how, how would I even get it to Calais? Yeah, it's all 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 the information's on the website. I mean, we know we have our list of the most wanted items and you can email the donations coordinator who will like tell you how to get it there and um, all that kind of thing. And again, all these like systems, people, all the different volunteers have kind of put in place, which is so amazing. And there's a bit always, we've always tried to have a kind of like, uh, attitude of people saying like, oh, actually this might be a good idea to do it, to do it like this. Yeah. And people like learning from each other and what's going to be the next big thing that you're working on do you think do you see somewhere that you think potentially is going to hit a crisis point soon do you we we work in 10 countries at the moment in europe Mm -hmm. and the middle east Um, and like i said we've got 80 partners so though the situation in those places is kind of changing and all our partners are very um flexible and for us we don't we don't want to run before we can walk so we're kind we kind of envision that we're just kind of staying working where we are but it's very much still an emergency you know yeah. there's it's it's very much still being able to continue to raise money to continue to buy very basics like food and nappies and tents and um blankets and you know in the sun suntan lotion for children because they, they get so burned or mosquito repellent because it's awful for in in the camps you know and then soon it's already we're starting to think oh my god it's about to be winter we need to start preparing for winter um so yeah it's it's still very very much that i don't think there's not like a long-term plan other than just trying to to meet meet the basic needs and where possible also support long-term projects and get people to have their independence and and a life again amazing josie we think what you are doing and what you have done is incredible you you. are a true badass thank you so much for coming and joining us thank you so much for having me it's been josie norton from help refugees go check them out and help them any way you can one two three four This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast. We hope you've loved it as much as we do. If you did, rate and review us, give us five stars, and then come have a chat with us at Badass Women's Hour HR on all the socials. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, we're there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.